All right, hello, people. Just trying to see if my guest is able to enter and be brought forward in a speaking position. So give me one moment here. Okay. Uh, well, well, hopefully he tries to enter. Wanted to uh, wish everyone. Oh, here we go. Can you guys hear me? We yes yes. Intro. I'm like so like I'm so so confused by this platform. Sorry. Uh, yeah, you know it's pretty it's pretty intuitive once you uh, just try it out. Um, um, is it like, anyway? I just wanted to. Is this some sort of like political response to to Clubhouse, or or is it just entirely different? Um, well, I mean, I guess it's maybe influenced by the initial success of Clubhouse in some way, um, but this kind of gives more control to the room originator, and then it, like I said, it. it um, it almost immediately becomes its own standalone audio program that you can then listen to afterwards on the clubhouse. Anyways, I just wanted to, uh, we'll get into it. Just wanted to give a little bit of an intro Christmas Eve. So I hope this program really eases everyone into their festive spirit. Um, although the topic, I guess, I'm discussing is not going to be especially festive. But I do think it's necessary to get into uh, because we have a very peculiar situation in the United States and around the world. And the U.S. is what I've been focusing on. But the way I think about it is this. When you see that some new city has promulgated a new initiative around alleged COVID mitigation, right? So this week... We have Washington, D.C., Chicago, and Boston announced that they will be instituting vaccine passport-style systems. These directives don't just materialize out of thin air. They're supported by an architecture of policy that enables the mayors of these cities to issue unilateral decrees making sweeping policy changes. I think too often the basis on which they're making these decrees isn't given sufficient airtime. Because I think if more people were aware of the exact policy mechanism by which these decrees were being issued, they'd be a lot more wary about what's been going on. So, uh, for example, in Boston this week, and I wrote about this on Substack, uh, but in Boston this week, you saw the announcement of a vaccine passport style system, right? And it's going to take effect next month. And how did this come about? Well, basically, the mayor decided, along with her public health officials, to just announce one day that this is what the policy was going to be moving forward. And she bypassed any kind of intelligible, deliberative process in doing so, right? And why did, was she able to do this? What empowered her 
to make this policymaking uh, action. Well, you got to actually read the fine print of the order in order to ascertain that. In the executive order issued by the Boston mayor or under her auspices by the health commissioner, it is cited the Boston Declaration of a public health emergency in March of 2020. So they're still invoking the emergency authorities conferred to them by dint of their initial proclamations of a public emergency in March of 2020. And across the board, go and look at the actual text of the orders that enable these mayors to make these impositions, and you'll find that uniformly, and somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, if I've missed something, but the ones that I've looked at, uniformly, they're done on the basis of the invocation of emergency powers, oftentimes the very same emergency powers that were cited for the initial wave of restrictions in March of 2020. So we're now nearing two years on, and those same powers are being routinely invoked to make really far-reaching changes to the public domain in terms of who is able to enter facilities and public venues and who's not. Right. So in in Boston, uh, as of next month, uh, next month, children will be required to get vaccinated to enter like an ice cream shop. Now, I mean, whether you support that or you don't, it seemed like it seems to me that it would be conducive to some maybe frank debate, weighing of the pros and cons, hashing out of maybe some unintended consequences prior to the policy being enacted. What happens is you see the pattern of the policy being enacted and then we're allowed to have the discussion about the potential pros and cons. And the mayors are able to supersede that deliberative process by invoking these emergency powers. And that to me does not seem like a particularly sustainable model of governance. And yet there's really no indication that any of these jurisdictions are going to relinquish their emergency powers anytime soon. In California, you had Gavin Newsom to extend a statewide emergency order until March of next year. Uh, In New Jersey, you had the governor technically rescind the, quote, public health emergency back in June, and then he got some nice headlines that indicated New Jersey had returned to some semblance of normalcy. But then he did this legislative end run, which uh, he was allowed to maintain the, quote, state of emergency. So he got rid of the public health emergency, maintained the state of emergency, as if anybody knows what the hell that even means or what the distinction possibly is. And that enables him to continue issuing policy decrees. And so at all, virtually all levels of government, state, federal, local, you see the continuous invocation of these emergency authorities, the continuous extension of these emergency powers. And sometimes in certain jurisdictions, it's for purposes that seem somewhat benign, like increasing hospital capacity and that sort of thing. But in others, it's to institute really, I think, potentially foreboding changes to, like I said, 
the manner in which citizens are allowed to engage in the public domain. Like vaccine passports clearly are a new model of how the state can regulate public behavior in a matter that has to do not just with your own public expressions of behavior, but what you choose or choose not to inject in your body. So I think from a civil libertarian standpoint, it really should be provoking more ire or at least more discussion, and it's really not. I mean, the ACLU changed its position earlier this year and supported vaccine passports, which is sort of in line with their changing sensibility over time to just be kind of an all-encompassing liberal advocacy organization. But what's really striking is that the most progressive politicians, the politicians who run around touting themselves as these champions of progressive values, they're the ones at the forefront of imposing these measures. I mean, Michelle Wu in Boston, the newly elected mayor, just elected in November, was seen as sort of a trailblazer in part because of her identity status. You know, she's an Asian woman, um, first Asian mayor of, of Boston. And also uh, because you know, she was a running as an Elizabeth Warren-style progressive. And this was her big, bold plan, apparently, for, for covid and he's doing it with this sort of unilateral authority. And if you want just one indicator of how foreboding this could very feasibly be, particularly in Boston, is that in the press conference, in the public discussion around the announcement of this initiative, the head of the Boston Health Commission gave her remarks. And basically what she said is that they reserve the right to mandate additional injections under a changing definition of fully vaccinated. She said, quote, at the press conference on Monday, which I don't know, do people watch? I mean, I watched it because I'm covering this stuff, but it seems like the really most notable aspects of this do not get adequate coverage. This Boston Health Commission Chief said, quote, we will adjust the policy as needed when the definition of fully vaccinated changes. So in other words, they're reserving the right to a month down the line, two months, six months, however long, mandate additional injections to be in compliance with this vaccine passport scheme. And so, you know, even if you're generally in favor of people being vaccinated, which I guess, you know, I am for the most part. That really is an entirely separate issue from whether... Anybody should be just mindlessly accepting of the government arrogating the right to just decree on a whim what injections are required for just basic engagement with society and have that be a permanent system. If they're instituting a permanent system or a system that they don't plan to withdraw at any time, which seems very conceivable in Boston in particular and other places, New York, San Francisco, Philadelphia, Chicago, Washington, D.C., et cetera, then shouldn't they be at least a a bit forthright about that (laughs) and not invoke emergency authorities as if this is supposed to be a a temporary measure, which it seemingly is not? Or at least shouldn't journalists be a little bit more inquisitive about the mechanisms of governmental authority that are being wielded to impose such a measure? Seems not to be happening. And seems like it really should be happening, and there should be more of a thoroughgoing public dialogue about this issue. Because for one thing, 
the rationales are continuously shifting. Like in Philadelphia, they announced this vaccine passport system last week. And the head of the city health authority, name is Cheryl Bettigol, justified it as such. And it was in relation to Omicron allegedly being this major threat that required prompt and urgent action. She said, quote, we have to do something to slow the spread now before it's too late. And what she's doing now to slow the spread before it's too late is to require that eating establishments check the vaccination records of everyone age five years and up starting on January 17th of next year. That's what's going to be happening in Philadelphia if you weren't aware. And so she says, on the one hand, we have to do something to slow the spread, and this is what we're doing. And on the other hand, these municipal officials will say, as they did in Boston, that really, you know, although we're saying this is somehow a policy response to Omicron, what it's really about is just coercing additional people to get vaccinated in the first place because they don't feel that they're adequate numbers. But clearly a attribute of Omicron that is supposed to be why it's so novel and concerning is the major potential for transmissibility, even amongst vaccinated individuals, right? I mean, you see anecdote after anecdote of people flipping out because they were at a fully vaxxed and boosted gathering and yet Omicron still spread. So is there any evidence at all that these kinds of schemes are going to reduce transmission? Do we have evidence from New York City that the vaccine passport system, which was came into effect in September, curbed transmission there? Because the latest data I'm getting flooded into my feeds suggests that cases are, quote, quote, unquote, cases are exploding in New York City. Same in San Francisco, where they've had this vaccine passport scheme since it was, it was announced in August. We have, we have months now of data from jurisdictions where they do have these schemes, and it sure doesn't appear as though it's stopping any spread. And yet that is the rationale put forward by these municipal officials to make a very sweeping and far-reaching change in just public life. And I think at the very least, there ought to be far more scrutiny of these measures on their own terms, meaning do the policies themselves make sense, but also of the mechanism by which they are being imposed by invoking these emergency authorities that were at least supposed to, we thought, or I thought, or one might have thought, were supposed to be temporary back when they were first declared in March, but seem to have never been removed and are used just as a routine policy-making tool now, uh, thereby forcing us into the state of semi-permanent emergency. And the, the, one of the insidious things is, unless you are a type of citizen, so unless you're like in the 0.001% of citizens in the U.S. that would actually ever think to read the full text of a municipal executive order, which I guess in a way <laughs> I am, unless you even know where to go to look at these orders or have the thought ever occur to you to, to read them, you wouldn't know that there actually is an emergency authority being exerted. All you would hear is that, oh, now we have a vaccine passport in Chicago or D.C. or wherever. 
you wouldn't know on the, uh, the grounds on which it was being decreed. And I think that's a failure of the media. And it's also, it's a extremely questionable tactic undertaken by public officials to kind of end run the ordinary governmental processes and just impose whatever they want to impose on a lark. Um, so anyway, that's what I think people should be highly cognizant of as these measures seemingly gain, gain steam. Again, you have three major cities in the U.S. announced them just this week, supposedly on the basis of Omicron being a threat that requires immediate action, and yet they're not going to, impose, they're not going to actually start the systems for another couple of weeks in January, long past the time that we're told Omicron is going to be spreading anyway. So if Omicron isn't the reason they're doing this, what is? Now, I'm not going to get into this whole speculative game where I'm going to talk about, you know, uh, overarching, uh, you know, semi-conspiratorial interpretation of any of this. But can you blame people for their cynicism? Could you blame people for reaching for these kinds of more conspiratorial explanations when you see these kind of shifting rationales for measures such as this? And when you see that, you know, they're still citing transmissibility in cases as the justification for such measures, and there's no evidence really ever of vaccine passport schemes in New York or San Francisco or parts of Europe, you know, Germany, um, Denmark have had these and they don't seem to have any effect at all on stopping transmission. And yet that rationale is still being invoked now to impose more of these measures in different cities. And, you know, maybe you have some concerns about a five-year-old needing to be vaccinated to go enter some public venue. And you're not even really able to air those concerns in time to change the policy because it's already been imposed and you don't really have a say because these emergency authorities have been invoked. So I think it's a very troubling uh, arrangement um, in terms of governance. And it's something that is going to remain in perpetuity unless the kind of core premises of the way these public health bureaucracies operate is challenged. Because it's these public health commissions and such that are advocating for this, and then the mayor just implements them. Like, I was watching a press conference where the mayor of Philadelphia, Jim Kenney, um, announced this vaccine passport scheme last week. And basically, he defers almost entirely to his chief health officer in the city, and she's the one setting policy. And it's just the mayor rubber stamping it. And that doesn't seem really like the best way to do things in a democratic society. Like, yeah, you can take the advice or recommendations of a public health official, but then you have to weigh that against other considerations that are outside a public health official's purview. Not just indefinitely delegate to them as though they are the mayor, I would think, but apparently that's not how a lot of these people operate. And a lot of these people like, you know, Michelle Wu in, in Boston, the new mayor, they view curtailing COVID seemingly as like an ideological crusade um, that has really little to do with the empirical reality of the situation. Um, it's to her, to her about filling a vision of equity or something. Um, and even when she received criticism this week, I don't know if she was responding to me or not. I mean, I doubt it, but I did write an article that had hers that with, with that's the uh, headline image because it was the most recent vaccine passport system that had been imposed at the time I was writing earlier this week. Uh, but now she's saying that essentially 
The reason why she's receiving such pushback against this proposal is because she's a woman of color. I mean, so that's the kind of depths to which we have now gone and really preempting any reasonable debate around these issues. Um, and again, I think it's, it's ominous and more people should be aware of it. So anyway, uh, Chris, I mean, Chris, uh, Chris Arnotti is here under the alias Miguel. And uh, alias, just that's my to... real name. That's my real name. Oh, okay. By the way. Okay. I just wanted to see if you had anything to add to that. Um, or... I mean, I guess I'm, I mean, I don't necessarily disagree with anything. That I'm just a little bit less, um, I guess I'm just a little bit less outraged about the whole thing because I, I think it's happening in four, four, four cities. Yeah. They're large cities, but I think most of America <laughs> is not behaving this way. Um, and uh, if the mayors of the of these cities are out of touch with their with their with their citizens, they'll be voted out. I mean, but hold on, it's not just for. I mean, no, but I mean, like, we uh, name the cities again: Los Angeles, yeah, they're, they're New York City, places. Chicago, uh, yeah. Boston, Washington D.C., San they're, Francisco, they're, New Orleans, they're, Philadelphia. They're, I mean, these are the biggest cities in the country. Those uh, I agree, but they, you know, again, they still account for fifty million people compared to America of three hundred thirty million people. I think I think a lot of people, I mean, at least from my experiences, like, you know, none of this is happening in any place outside of a few highly blue, blue very, very concentrated. It's not happening here. My, I'm, I'm in upstate New York and it's not happening here. Um, I think it's it's confined to a few very liberal, very educated, um, what I would call very front row enclaves. And um, I, th- I suspect it's what the political insiders in these places want. You can see that behavior on Twitter. I mean, it's people who are not going to let this go. I mean, I, I think, I think, I think, and again, you know, I, I may rue the day I said this. I think we're, we're on the downside of this, of this, of this, of this, of this of COVID panic. I think more pe- people will continue to die, which sucks. But I think the, the, the mindset of most Americans has moved on. And I think you see that partly in what something you and Glenn were both talking about, how like, why do we have to hear everybody say I'm COVID positive and I don't, I'm not ill. I think that's a positive because that's where the reality is all, all, all evidence points to Omicron being less, um, less serious. And that's actually a good thing. I mean, meaning that people are going to get sick, have a cold and then move on. And you, you can see this happening in some of the institutions like the NBA and the NFL, which have moved away from the bureaucratic sense of look of of testing everybody constantly, and then you know getting getting a and taking a positive test as some as kind of a close down the close down the shop uh, issue, um, and move towards uh, the more ser- the, the the better metric of hospitalizations and, and serious illnesses. I think I think we're in the last stages of of and I think it will continue. Again, I think you're probably right that this will continue in a few places like. Like like very few few very uptight rich places like Boston and D.C. the the irony being of D.C. what I find so fascinating about D.C. is D.C. is what fifty five percent black fifty five percent African American I mean we we think of D.C. as this place of you know a lot of um, elites but it's got it's got a lot of working class blacks who are unvaccinated largely um, and so um, I'm curious to see how it plays out in D.C. of all places because I think the kind of you know the the unstable coalition of the Democrats, the, the educated whites and poor blacks is kind of at, at odds there right now. 
um, because I, I think the people most frustrated with the vaccine passports are the working class blacks in D.C. Uh, I think the people who make these rules are very happy with it. I can just say from my perspective, as somebody who's been in both unvaccinated, unboosted, all that shit, um, you know, I, I just came back from Europe and I was in Romania. And, you know, we had to, you had to show you had you had to have access. You had to have passports to get um, vaccine passports to enter a place. And I quite honestly, at a personal level, I kind of liked it because I didn't really want to kill people. You know, I don't want to. My, my issue at a personal level is uh, people who are unvaccinated are, are, are more susceptible to, to die from COVID. It's just simple as that. Um, at my in my age group, and I don't want to be responsible for killing. I don't. I don't really mind the risk of me getting COVID. I, mean, I, I hang out with unvaccinated people all the time. <laughs> I go into bars filled with unvaccinated, but I, I would rather not give people, you know, whatever small chance there is. So the the only reason I quote feel com- more comfortable in a place where everybody's vaccinated is from a from a personal perspective. I'd rather not make anybody sick. And, and be responsible for their death. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's laudable, and I think that's a normal instinct. But, uh, I guess the same person shares, but I mean, there's no evidence that these passport systems really reduce transmission. Uh, is I, it? I, I mean, I, I, look, I mean, I think what they, I agree with you. I think, I think what people five years down in the future, the politics will be out of it, and people will be able to finally say, you know, the reality is nothing worked like, you know, everything was kind of theater. Um, you know, nothing really worked. It, it, the, the disease spread basically as a function of luck and just, just, you know, as a function of um, like any nonlinear process, it just kind of spread where it spread. I mean, if I were King, what I would do is I would, as a, my role as a governor, or as, as King would be to basically give as much information to people as possible and let them make their own decisions. Because I think people behave, you know, people are smart. When if when COVID is spiking, they kind of stay away from hanging out with other people if they're at risk. And if COVID is not spiking, they kind of go back to normal behavior. Uh, I think the government should probably get out of that other than just providing data all the time and just telling people what they can do. Um, I, I'm not so sure that people don't like vaccine passports. I think it's very much, I think I think it's very much a political thing. It's very much breaks down along the educational lines I speak about. I think the front row likes them and the back row doesn't. And um, I think in places where the kind of non-college graduates have a majority of say, you don't. You, life is returned to normal as much as it can, um, and. Uh, you know, even even in cases where there are vaccine passports required, I mean, you know, <laughs> it just means people drink in the bodegas instead, or there's bars that don't even check. I mean, you know, you can you can go to the Bronx and go to the bar and not have to show your vaccine passport, and life goes on. Um, I think it's just a, it's just a way to make people who go to four star, five star restaurants feel a little bit better about going to their five star restaurants and feel less guilty. And, you know, like they're not going to be around some dirty plebe who might have might have COVID. So it's all theater. I agree. But it's the theater that they want. So, you know. well, well, right. But so but if it's all theater, then I mean, shouldn't there at least be more scrutiny? I mean, if the logic supposedly undergirding these policies can ultimately be reduced to 
we're making affluent people feel better about going to dine in their favorite restaurant in the center of the city or something, then, I mean, shouldn't that be aired and shouldn't there be at least some I think, I think critical early evaluation on, of that? Because like, I think, er, I think, I think I, early I, on I think in the first... I think, it's a mis- I think it's a mistake to just dismiss this as a, a couple a couple cities when it's the biggest cities in the country and they're all falling like dominoes and implementing I'm not so sure it's impacted that many people. I'm not sure it's the people who are being hurt by this are effectively smaller businesses where, you know, if smaller businesses that cater to the front row, basically, or, you know, or, or cater. Uh, look, I don't think it's because I even with va- vaccine passports, I think people are not going to go out to eat because it just adds to the fear. Um, but I, I think I think most Americans, including educated Americans, have got to the point where they think, hey, you know what? I, I, I can. They're, they're looking at what's happening with Omicron. They're saying, "Hey, you know, this is a risk I'm willing to take." Except for some very loud voices on Twitter. I think most people, you know, I kind of made a tweet, and I get, and the response was kind of like, you know, from a lot of people, like, you know, the, I think the normal view right now is um, of most people is for the first six months of the of the you know, up until I was vaccinated, I I was as cautious as, as as my circumstances allowed me to be, which, given my situation, allowed me to be very cautious. Once vaccinated, I'm, I'm I'm going back to doing as much as I can, with the caveat that I sometimes wear a mask, um, you know, when when it makes me feel better and other people feel better. And I have some people in my life who have serious illnesses, and I, I adjust my behavior around them. I'm very cautious around them. I, you know, I. I don't, if I'm going to go visit them, I don't go out for three days before going to visit them, things like that. And I think that's where most Americans are. And I think the, the hype coming out of the DC and coming out of Boston and New York is really just limited to a few people who are, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, it sucks that they're impacting everybody, but I think it's going to, I think we're in the last stage. But, but then again, if we really are in the last stages of this, which seems plausible, given the kind of epidemiological trajectory of, you know, Omicron in particular, which I tend to call, oh, come on, rather than Omicron. But doesn't that call even into further question the justifiability of extremely far-reaching measures? I mean... I mean, I think, I think you know... You could, you, could, you, could, you, could, you could dismiss the significance of vaccine passports as not a major imposition. And look, I've been at places in New York City and... Um, in Canada, in France, where you do have to, sh- you didn't have to show proof of vaccination into, in order to enter a restaurant or something, and it's not like the biggest tyranny I've ever been subjected to, but you know it is, a, it is a major adjustment. And let's say that you are not vaccinated at this point, and you've lived in Boston your whole life. Maybe you're a Southie, right? And so you're un- you're not college educated, whatever. And let's say that you think that you, or even let's say you are college educated, doesn't matter. Let's say you have, you feel that you have good faith reasons for not getting vaccinated. You're younger, you feel like maybe you have natural immunity, um, you know, you already had COVID, and uh, you think maybe you know, the risks outweigh the benefits, whatever your calculation and however defensible it is scientifically, that you, you think you have a good faith reason for not doing it. And now, when we're supposedly on the tail end of this thing, and when we're supposedly now being flushed with a more minor variant, nonetheless, municipal officials are saying you can't even go to a restaurant anymore. You can't go to the Red Sox game. You can't go bowling. You can't go to the movie theater. 
I mean, what kind of message does that send? I mean, to, to me, it seems almost vindictive. Um, it seems like a, a continuing effort on the part of liberal elites to scapegoat, quote, the unvaccinated as the major source of problems in the United States, as though it's the unvaccinated that are the reason that we're now having another upswell in the in viral spread, which seems to not be true at all. I mean, it, it, um, it is. So, it is so, the case, so, what is, so, so what is the reason for it? I mean, okay, I, I mean, you can be, I, I, there, there are two ways of thinking about it. One is, is like, let's be honest, most of the people who are dying are unvaccinated. Um, and if people weren't dying, we wouldn't be having, we wouldn't be having these, uh, I suspect we wouldn't be having these overreactions. I mean, it, be, it, people dying is not cool. And so mayors don't like to be, have people die on their watch. So they're trying to stop people from dying. Um, and the people, the bulk of the people who are dying are unvaccinated. So their evidence is that we got to do something to stop this. You know, I, I understand why they're trying to, why they're, why, I mean, people are dying. It's not cool, man. Like, and the bulk of the people who are dying are, are unvaccinated. Now, I, I agree that you probably, we, you know, this sweeping generalization on the unvaccinated when it's really unvaccinated above 50 or with comorbidity, I can't say that fucking word. Um, but I, you can understand. Comorbidity. Yeah, there you go. co in. You can see where, where, where they're getting to where they are. Like they're, they're you know, let's not, let's not pretend that people who are unvaccinated are not the problem here. If, if everybody was vaccinated, wait, pr- pr- but pro- problem in what way, though? Problem in deaths, deaths. I, this whole thing okay. would be this whole thing would be much, we would I, we're going to get there because the deaths are going to end um, um, partly because this, this is less more people are vaccinated and this is less um, less serious. But if more people were vaccinated, we'd have less less deaths. And that's a good thing. So I, I'm I'm all for yeah, but it's it. Uh, that, that's true. That the most people who are dying now, in, for a reason that's attributed to COVID, are are not vaccinated. However, I, I don't know how much longer that's going to be a defensible reason to impose far-reaching policy measures. Like, if you look at the data, I saw an interesting figure from Oregon earlier this week. Uh, yeah, they I, are I reporting through the. They're reporting yeah. through the hold on, hold on. Where Oregon is reporting through its public health authority that a quarter of all COVID attributed deaths in the state since August are breakthrough deaths, meaning people who are vaccinated. So seventy five percent, roughly unvaccinated, twenty five percent. Yeah, but that's unvaccinated. because is that is that, that is that a big difference? Yeah, yeah but, it's it's not like uh, yeah, I don't know that, how much longer it's it's justifiable to say that. No, but that's that's especially that, that, big unvaccinated are quote the problem in in that way. Yeah, but that, that's especially a big difference when you take the fact that most Americans are vaccinated. So you have to adjust for the, the pool of people. Like on a per capita basis, vaccination cuts your death rate down by a factor of ten. That's huge. Maybe even more than that. So uh, I think what what's going on is these mayors want they're trying. The mayors, again, I, I actually think it's, I think they have good intentions here. I think it's badly executed, but I think they have good intentions, which is they want people to get vaccinated. And they see, see this as a, as a carrot, a combination carrot stick. You got to get vaccinated to go into these places. Therefore, more people will get vaccinated. I think that's kind of the, the message. I well, think you, know, the you, you, know, you, know, you know what the road to hell is paved with, right? Yeah, I understand that. But I guess what but I'm telling you is like, that's... That's where, uh, you know, 
I mean, look, I'm, I'm very, I'm probably one of the, given my situation, I'm probably one of the most sympathetic people when it comes to people who make decisions that others call reckless. When it comes to the addiction, when it comes to voting patterns, when it comes to behavior like vaccinations, I understand why people, I understand what's motivating people to get where they are, but it's just, it's not a good, it's not a smart decision, man. <laughs> like get vaccinated, bitch. <laughs> like, you know, like this, this whole thing. Well, okay. I mean, but, 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 but we've that, heard, that, we've heard, we've what, heard, we've heard these injunctions to get vaccinated now for a year. People have complied. Others I, haven't. I, I, Most have I, complied. So like how much, the question becomes how much, coercion are we willing to tolerate uh, as a society? Look, I, and how much policy public policy are we willing to tolerate that upends previous assumptions about the free accessibility of you know the public domain I, i'm just I telling mean, you that what, what the, at, what, at a certain point it's not just about whether individuals should get vaccinated which i agree in large part particularly if they're older they ought to but that again that's sort of secondary now to these other policies, yeah, but these other policies, stuff are, like do we do we so the, do we, do we now require five year olds to have to present proof of vaccination to go enter an ice cream parlor? I mean, that seems like a different matter entirely. Uh, I, I'm, I'm telling you what's motivating the policy. The motivation to the policy is trying to get. They can't. They're not going to say it necessarily explicitly. It's and they may not necessarily explicitly know this, but it's 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 to get more people vaccinated. I mean, that's that was certainly the. That was certainly the motivation behind what they're, they were very explicit. That's what they were doing in, in Bucharest. They were trying to get more people vaccinated. And the only way they're going to, you want to go drink? You want to go, you want to go watch them show? Get vaccinated. Um, and at least there where the vaccination rates were really low, it was having an impact. Um, I'm not so sure it works here. And I've written pieces about that. I'm not sure anything at this point can reach people who are unvaccinated. Um, some people have a good reason for not being vaccinated or, you know, if, if, if you're below 45, there's a very, that's a very different risk analysis. I, if you're, you know, if someone's 35 and they're not vaccinated, I, I really don't have much to say to them. Um, you do you, um, if someone's 60 years old and overweight and not vaccinated, that's just really a silly decision in my mind. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll... well, yeah, I, I agree. And I've said that and I, yeah, but, you know, but, but these, again, these, these, what... these, these, these examples that come out occasionally that the media, I think sometimes Trump hits a little too gleefully of like a guy in his sixties who's maybe slightly overweight, who has this kind of vague political grievance against vaccination and chose not to get it and then dies. You know, I do think there is some public value in highlighting a case like that because it shows that. You know, your individual risk assessment, if you're in that age, and especially if you're a male, um, probably, you know, very clearly seems to weigh in favor of you getting the vaccine. So that's fine. But I, I, I'm, I have strong reservations about conflating that with public policy that necessarily affects everyone, including five-year-olds. I mean, wh- why, are we, why are we in such a crusade to get a five-year-old vaccinated? Can somebody explain that to me? I mean, I think that I agree that, that I think I think the extension of it is dumb. I think um it's gone to uh i think the where the policy directed towards children has been silly um and i think that's clearly where people are missing where the policy is wrong i mean i i guess my whole thing here is i just can't get too worked up about the vaccine passports at this point because it is limited to they are large cities Uh, i really think most people who who aren't vaccinated quote in the back row (laughs) First of all, don't want to go to a lot of the places that are being re- that are required the passports, and also have have it end around. And, and yeah, it sucks for them. 
I get that, you know, and I'm sure they're going to forge documents or do something um, if they really want to go see, you know, whatever. Well, what um, about, I mean, what about the main thrust of what I was saying, which is that this stuff is being implemented on supposed emergency rounds, and yet it seems to be a permanent modification I, to I, I, public I, policy. Does that not I, I, seem I don't see it as worrisome? Um, I mean, we are in a pandemic, so I get the emergency. If there's any time for emergency powers, it's during a pandemic. I kind of wish they had used emergency powers back in February instead of telling everybody to go to, and telling everybody to go to Chinatown to fe- for New Year's. <laughs> you know, um, they they're they're late to the show. Um, I they're behind the ball, but I mean, we are in a pandemic, you know, and um, I think it's 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 as much visual as anything, and I, I think we're at the tail end of this. So I'm. Uh, this whole thing, you know, you look at you, you write about elite schools. I think those guys will continue doing their their theater for a while, and it's silly. But you know, go to any state school; they're you know <laughs> they've moved on. Um, you know, there's keg parties going on. Uh, well, you say they moved on, but even at like University of Michigan, I, I reported a couple months ago because somebody sent it to me. You have to you know, still pull up this app that they make you get to verify that you've completed your testing requirements and you don't have symptoms and so on. So, I mean, that is a, some, that seems like a permanent adjustment as well. And, you know, they're not going to get, I'm not sure what systems. you mean by permanent. I think, I think the minute, I think, I think while, well, I while mean, deaths, while deaths are still like, a do, thousand, do, you, so do, do you think Boston or San Francisco or New York or Chicago or Philadelphia or Washington DC or any of these places have any intention of yeah, abolishing they, they, their vaccine passport? Um, yeah, I mean, because it's they've opened and closed places. I mean, they, they New York was open, and you know, when when cases dropped, now cases are back again. I think I think when when deaths go below like you know nationwide below like three hundred a day, I'm not sure where they are. I think the whole outlook will change, and I think we're, we're, I mean, Omicron is scary. And they'll get rid of these vast. Yeah, they'll they'll, they'll yeah, rescind because, these I, policies because I, I, I don't think an aggregate. I think if you took all the population and aggregate, I, I think COVID policy in aggregate is extraordinarily unpopular, and I think that's why you're going to see a lot of a lot of people voted out. Um, I, I think they'll cave in eventually. They're, they're listening right now. It's scary. I mean, you know, they're they're a lot of the mayors are not particularly bright people. <laughs> they listen to um, you know the bureaucrats. If that's their mindset, and the public policy bureaucrats are not the brightest group of people either. Like you know, they just look at these charts, and these charts look scary. And so they're 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 taking they're taking the, you know, they've been burned too many times. They underestimated it initially, and now they're not. Doing it. Like Omicron, every evidence is, is that it's weaker, um, and they're doing. They're, and I think they, I think I think the smart public health people know that. They're just scared to say that because if, if they're wrong, my God, you know, to be to be wrong about something like that, they're always going to go for the. You know, when you listen to public health people, they're going to always err on the side of being cautious. And the problem is, as mayors now, after two years of this, are, have been trained to listen to public health people. And that's a mistake. They should be a little bit more, you know, at least the blue the blue city mayors. So I get why they're doing this. I mean, you know, those, those numbers are scary, man. Like, you know, and they, they can't say to themselves, they don't have the balls to say, well, Omicron is um, not as serious as... Uh, as uh, the Delta was, you know, and, you know, I think they're wrong. I mean, but, you know, there's a, there's a, if there's a 3% chance they're, they're right. They're going to go with that because, you know, they don't want to be responsible for having, having death spike up in their city. They want to, they want to be able to say, look, I did, yeah, but I, I tried something. I, 
no, no. But the pa- again, but again, it, it comes back to the question of efficacy of vaccine passports. Is there any evidence at all that they curb transmission anywhere? No, they're not. There isn't. Germany has had vaccine passports for months, and now yeah, they're but, imposing but, even more restrictions on capacity and that kind of thing. So, 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 so if, if if the idea is just you know we have to make it seem like we're quote doing something. Then that's not a sound basis for public policy, yeah, especially no, no. if the, if they're doing it on the basis of these claimed emergency authorities, almost two years later. No, no mayor wants to look like they're doing nothing when they're when deaths are spiking up in their city. So, I mean, I, I tend to agree. Passport, emergency vaccine passports don't let, don't change anything. But like, you don't want to be you don't want to be the mayor in Jaws, right? That's what nobody wants to be the mayor in Jaws. That's what they're scared of. So they're they're going to try to do everything they can to try to, do. and again, it's I think they're making up for having fucked up. I mean, they were the mayor in Jaws the first first three months of the pandemic when they shouldn't have been, and now they're now they've reverted to the opposite. And again, I think a lot of the people who are speaking to them are are, are people who are you know won't let COVID go. I think there is a core contingent of politically active people who are who won't let COVID go. Um, you know, and uh, and so. That's who has their ear right now, um, but, I, but I, again, I think we're on the tail side of this. I think I actually think you know, and again, it's going it's to sound horrible when people are dying. I think we're I think we're at the basically we're near the end of the pandemic, um, and more people are going to die, and that really really sucks. Um, but I think the American public has moved on, and I think these mayors are the last last holdouts. And you know, I think the much more um, the much more politically popular opinion and a much more kind of average opinion is kind of like what's happening in Florida. Like, you, know, just, you do you, you go about your, your own thing. We're not going to, we're not going to get in your way. And, uh, and I, I think that's, that's kind of why I think, you know, uh, and they can, again, they're, they're doing their constituency is, you know, the people who act are, <laughs> are the laptop crowd who don't want this to end and don't, don't want to eat in Lord Bernard in when, when, when somebody is, is in there has a isn't vaccinated well you know I, I guess i don't agree that there's much indication at all that these passport schemes in particular are going to be rescinded i think they're setting up an architecture a policy architecture around them now that um, requires you know contracts um to provide the technology behind it and it ha- has an enforcement element in terms of what to do about violators and such. And I don't see much of an indication at all that any of this is going to be taken away. And I'm talking about the, the, the passport systems in particular. It seems like I, I, a permanent I, I, policy change that they're, they're trying to get through on emergency grounds. And I think that alone make a bet. is enough to warrant scrutiny. <laughs> What's the, what are the terms of the bet? Um, vaccine passports will not be in um, New York City come March 1st. So you're saying by March 1st, New York City is going to rescind the vaccine passport yeah. policy? Yes. Actually, let me okay, how much do you want to bet? Um, uh, lunch special at a Colombian place near your house. <laughs> okay. I will take that bet happily because you're going to owe me lunch. Yeah, I think, I, I think I'm going to owe you lunch. I, now that I think about it, March, January, February, March, January, March, it will be rescinded by April. But March, March is iffy. I'll I'll go to I'll go to April first. Oh, will you? Okay, good. I get a free I get a free month free. It tells me how bad my bet was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
I go, look, I mean, I would go April 1st, 2023. Really? But let's just stick with 2022. Really? Just for the purposes yeah, no, of remembering that. You really think, you really think. Yes. Okay. Because that's what, I mean, when you have a vaccine passport system set up, and people get accustomed to it and they like it. What about DC? What about DC? That's, that's, that's why in Boston they're saying, look, we reserve the right to change this. What about DC where, mandate boosters? What about DC where the um, where the population is 55%? DC population is 60, 70% black? 70% black? Um, and 50, uh, I think it's going to be the same. You think DC? All right, DC um, has one of the lowest vaccination rates of any of any place. Correct. Yeah, I, I think that the, the the constituency that wants this, and which the mayor is responding to, are politically influential enough that it's going to override whatever consternation you might see coming out of the you know the heavily uh, black areas of the city that maybe are less. Um, in compliance. Um, but we have, a, uh, we, have, we, have, we have a caller here, so let's go to Jonah. Hello, Jonah. You have to unmute. Hello, Jonah. Jonah, you must unmute if you'd like to speak. Oh, hello, Michael. Can you hear me? Hello. Oh, yeah, hey, I can hear you. how are yep. you? It's a real honor to uh, to meet you. I'm a I'm a huge fan. Uh, so thanks for having me on. Oh, thanks a lot. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Um, thanks for coming. Sorry, I'm just can you still hear me? Sorry, I'm trying to figure out how to what that should. Okay, because I yeah. had you. Uh, on speaker, and then uh, I was talking through the speakerphone. So, yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of yours. I think you're a very um, fair-minded, uh, rational person. You have a lot of integrity. And I don't understand why you elicit so much criticism on Twitter, online. I really don't get it. But you have a silent majority of people who admire you and respect you. And, and I'm one of them just observing on the outside. So I'm a, uh, I'm a huge fan. I support all your work. I read your Substack, and you have um, excellent prose. I love reading your work, so um, I just want to send my uh, kudos to you. Um, and I really appreciate the fact. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say thanks a lot. I'm almost embarrassed at the praise. Uh, I was just going to say I'm yeah. glad. I'm glad. Yeah. Life, I'm glad. I'm glad Chris is here to witness that because he, I was say, in real life, he puts he me down. In real life, he sucks. <laughs> I, I, I'm a little embarrassed to kind of fawn over someone like that publicly. I know people are, are listening, but I just, this is the only opportunity I, I would have to, uh, to express my, my gratitude for your work, for your writing. And so I hope you, uh, you keep at it. And I'm grateful that you're doing this stuff on, on COVID because I, I share your opinions on this and I'm actually skeptical. I don't think it's ever going to end. I think I don't know if you said this or, or Glenn Greenwald said this, but there are parallels between this and the war on drugs. And you're just you're just fighting some intractable problem that can never be solved. And you're also fighting against human nature. How do you indefinitely prevent people from having contact with others? So it's a completely unattainable goal. And I don't think it's ever going to to end. 
And so, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I well, again, uh, thank you for the, the praise. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, it's nice to actually to get some positive feedback on the internet occasionally. Um, uh, but I agree with you in the sense that, look, I mean, my posture toward this really changed significantly once mass vaccination became available. Like, a lot of my more libertarian or conservative or maybe slightly more uh, paranoid inclined uh, followers, not to put them down, but people who are more cynical, let's say, of this stuff have been denouncing me for uh, uh, a long time for not coming out more vociferously against all restrictions and, uh, you know, getting on board with labeling everything, the scam demic and all that. And, you know, I was, I, I had always said, now look, especially in the very early stages. Like I, I abided by the stay at home order largely for the first, I don't know, month or something in New Jersey. I was in uh, the area where, you know, it was the worst in that first wave. And so, you know, I was saying, I, I said to myself, look, for the purposes of, I don't know, social solidarity or something, I'm willing to make an accommodation here. And also I have the means to do so when it doesn't interrupt my life that substantially. Um, but at a certain point, you have to move beyond that temporary emergency mindset, right? Particularly if mass vaccination is available and people who want to reduce their risk of, of a severe outcome have the opportunity to do so through this free injection that, by the way, Donald J. Trump uh, made available. <laughs> um, so when you see restrictions still building and when you see a, like, a new policy apparatus constructed to regulate behavior at, uh, in the form of these passports, or tra- more and more travel uh, restrictions, or just general hysteria. Uh, these these college bureaucracies that are still driving people crazy at these schools, where now because of Omicron, you know they have to stay in the room again in January and not mingle. And by the way, they're also have to be triple vaxxed. When you see these constant moves to continue wielding these emergency powers by all these different bureaucracies a year after vaccination first became available, that's when an alarm bell sounds for me and I think should sound for others. And we shouldn't just kind of rest on our laurels and assume that this stuff is going to end. I mean, I don't think, I, I think now, I, I have no reason to believe, I, I have seen no evidence presented that any of these jurisdictions which are putting in place passport schemes are going to take them away. And yeah, it is intractable in a sense, which is why, you know, once you have the infrastructure set up around a passport system, for instance, you can use it for other purposes. You can say, look, you got to get other in, uh, injections, maybe, or you got to get the additional booster, booster over four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, right. potentially. And so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the worry. And that's my attitude. So I, I do tend to agree with you. I mean, what's the, there's no exit strategy. There's always going to be another variant. There's always going to be another, I mean, I think in, um, in the summer, I, I, I'm double vaxxed. I wanted to kind of do my part. And when people were discussing the possibility of a third shot, I thought that was like hyperbolic. Or I thought it was just people being paranoid uh, or almost, or being satirical. But now that's become reality. And it's only a matter of time before the third shot is... I, I'm in Toronto and we have to show evidence of two shots to get into a restaurant. And so mm-hmm. it's only a matter of time before we'll have to show evidence of a a third shot. That, that to me seems inevitable. Right. Right. Well, in San Jose, which is like the 11th biggest city in the U.S., I think, 
the mayor is already proposing that boosters be required as to, to constitute fully vaccinated for all city owned buildings. Um, so yeah, I, I don't see any indication that that's going to stop. So, so I'm not anywhere near as confident as Chris was just, just now um, that somehow you know, uh, the, the light's going to turn on and somehow all these public officials who are so wedded to this whole mindset now are going to say, okay, you know, Let's move on to the next thing. I, that's I, not really how it works. I don't know. This will be my final comment, and then I'll take your thoughts, uh, quote unquote, off the air. Uh, I don't want to bore your listeners too much, but I, I have this sort of. You made a great comment on Twitter where you said that if we weren't obsessively searching for COVID, would we even notice there was a problem? And and I seem to have this sort of this kind of unified theory of the pandemic where our perception of the pandemic is completely skewed by what happened in uh, Wuhan, China. Uh, And if Wuhan had never locked down, but the virus, so to speak, still arrived in North America, would we notice we're even in a pandemic? Yeah, you know, maybe that's true to some degree. I think the response in the, quote, West uh, tended to be mostly influenced by the scenes out of northern Italy, right? Um, so, because we don't have as much of, in, of an insight into what goes on in China, right? Yeah. Um, so I think I think Italy actually was a turning point in just shaping public perception about the severity of the threat early on. So, I mean, maybe you're maybe you're, but but I think in a broader way. You're right in that, like all these, all this constant biometric data that we're being inundated with, right? Where we're there's always these updates on case numbers, and like that leaves the news all the time, and everybody's enjoying to be constantly testing themselves. Like I saw the Washington Post that there was this advisor who is on the some committee in California that you know gives recommendations to the governor. He was saying that his view is everybody should be testing every day. Right, like everyone, he's saying everyone in the United States should be testing themselves for COVID every day, and then you know funneling that data into some kind of centralized system. Well, I mean that whole framework almost, I think, inevitably leads to a sort of psychosis that is separated apart from the disease itself. I mean, if you're if you follow me on Twitter, you'll know that you know over the course of the past week or two, occasionally I'll scan. Uh, social media and just find people who are reporting publicly that they tested positive and almost invariably they're far more fearful of the disruption and anxiety caused by the positive test result than they are of the disease itself two two years ago i mean if this this was december of 2019 and people were experiencing cold-like symptoms or no symptoms at all because they contracted the virus would there be this mad rush to like proclaim it publicly and, and, you know, have people tell you how sorry they are for you? No. I mean, that whole system of thought is itself, I think, far more culpable for a huge portion of the current anxiety than anything to do with the disease. And once you reach that point, I think you've got a problem that needs to be addressed on some kind of fundamental level. Well, it becomes like a self-reinforcing cycle where there's anxiety and paranoia about an illness. You go searching for it with hypersensitive instrumentation through PCR tests, you you find it, and that just amplifies the anxiety 
and paranoia and things just get worse and worse. But I, I want to make one final comment, sorry, about what you said in um, about Northern Italy, because you're right. Once the outbreak happened in Northern Italy, that's when the West started to um, react. And that's when they realized that they were in a or they perceived it to be an emergency. And so um, so in Ontario, they did a um, the government released a report on what happened in long term care facilities. That was sort of that was the sort of the um, the place where most of the deaths were occurring. And especially around April and May of 2020, you'd hear stories in the news about 20, 30 people sort of dying within a, within a week at a long term care facility across the province. And I, and I, you know, I read it's a 300 page PDF. So admittedly, I did not read the full report, but I did go beyond the headlines. I actually clicked on the PDF. And what they determined is that a lot of the deaths in those homes that they had attributed to COVID were actually the result of neglect, where patients were not being tended to. They died of um, hunger or, or dehydration. And so I think a lot of those deaths were caused by panic within those facilities and patients' needs were not being met. Uh, people could not visit their loved ones. And it's very important to have advocates for elderly people if they're in a hospital or long-term care setting. So I wonder if in Northern Italy, there was a bunch, there was panic going on as a result of what was happening in Wuhan. And that um, greatly exacerbated the situation and led to many preventable, avoidable deaths, where if people had remained calm, um, patients might have received the treatment they otherwise would have received. And so it's just a theory. I don't, I'm just trying to connect some dots, but that's one yeah, year. that's that's interesting. You know, I think there is pretty convincing evidence that a lot of people in these long-term care facilities did die for a reason that had to do with the inherent virulence of the virus. Um, right. And there are probably others who died for ancillary reasons that were related to the over potential overreaction, right? So it's kind of a mixed bag, you know. But it doesn't help that you're not even really allowed to speculate as to the latter, you know, um, and people get offended if you want to get a more precise understanding of the nature of a lot of these deaths. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's a, it's a plausible theory. I mean, I think it should be interrogated more. I think clearly there are issues with how a lot of these deaths have been tabulated. I mean, when I first, I'll admit when I first heard the mantra, uh, that you often heard from people who are kind of uh, right wing and were against all restrictions or against virtually every restriction um, early on, they would say, look, these are deaths with COVID, not from COVID. I was like, wait, what? I mean, we're having a huge spike in deaths seemingly. And it seems dismissive to say that it's only because it's, it's just incidental. Right. But clearly there were a lot of incidental deaths. I mean, clearly there were a lot of genuinely incidental deaths because everybody yes. in going to the hospital gets tested for COVID, you know, they're positive, but they die for something wholly unrelated that gets counted as a COVID death or had been counted in a lot of jurisdictions as a COVID death. Um, so, but, but, you know, it's not simple. It's not black and or white one way or another, right? There's a lot of ambiguity and I guess I'll just wrap it up because I don't want to dominate everybody's Christmas Eve with these sort of dour <laughs> music. <laughs> um, but, you know, that ambiguity gets to why I have such extreme reservations now about a policy initiative like vaccine passports. It doesn't seem reflective of that ambiguity, right? It, they're, they're, you have public officials making these conclusive 
determinations about the supposed epidemiological value of these measures. Um, and they don't seem to have a sound basis for doing so, which I think should alone warrant a lot more scrutiny than they've, they've received. Um, but anyway, thanks. thanks yes. A lot, yeah. Yeah. Michael, for, um, it was a privilege yeah. speaking to you. Uh, Merry Christmas, happy new year. And I wish you, uh, you and your family all the best. Take care. Thank you for allowing me on your show. Yeah, you too. All thanks a lot. Bye. Yeah. Yeah. All right, everybody. Well, um, I'm going to leave it there for now. Uh, thanks everybody for tuning in. I uh, hope I didn't ruin your Christmas with these uh, sour notes. Um, but we'll, we'll do it again after the holiday. So Merry Christmas to all.